You know, the last few weeks, in fact, it was two weeks ago, we started this little study in the book of Colossians, and it's really some of Paul's big ideas, and the reason we were calling that is Colossians was probably written about 25 years at least after Paul's conversion, 25 years of mission work, 25 years of pastoral work. Paul had a lot to say, and Paul had a lot of experiences, and he kind of, in this book to this church, little church, that he did not start and probably never visited, he kind of shares some of um, big ideas that that he would share in other books as you read through the New Testament. In fact, it's said that about one-third of Colossians is almost word for word what you would read in other books that Paul has written. And so we, we picked up, and we picked up week number one. The first of Paul's two big ideas was that on the supremacy of Christ, Supremacy of Christ. We said Christ is, was, and always has been. Christ uh, was before creation. He created it all. All things are created by him. All things are created for him. And in fact, he is 100% God. The fullness of God dwells in him. But then Paul dropped the bombshell. But that man who was fully God offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross for you and me, to bring reconciliation, to reconcile the creator to the creation. That was big idea number one. Big idea number two, last week we said, Paul says, okay, now that Christ has done his work, you are free. You have freedom in Christ. Freedom not only from sin and death, but freedom from guilt and sorrow and fear and your past, all those things that would chain you and bind you. You have been set free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so we are to live as free people. Our chains have been broken. And now the question comes, now what? Now what? What happens after freedom? What what comes next? What happens? Because freedom is kind of a daunting thing. What comes next? And every time I hear that, what comes next? What comes next? My mind goes back to, um, I got to confess, I am a huge fan of the Broadway musical Hamilton. I don't know if anybody else is here, but I, I just love the soundtrack. I could listen to it. For, in fact, my parents live about an hour and 15 minutes from here. That's an hour and 15 up, an hour and 15 back. If I put, the, if I put it in when I'm heading out of home here, and, I can, and by the time I get back, it's done, and I can just, it's just like... I, I, I think people who drive the other way are used to seeing me with a hand on the steering wheel going, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And usually my mouth's going too as I'm singing along, not going to give up my shot. You know, you know, not going to give away my shot, my shot, you know, and all that. You know, well, anyhow. Uh, but, but in that musical, so brilliantly written uh, by Lynn Manuel uh, Miranda, there's a song in there, and it's King George, and he's singing it. Really, the message is to, is to George Washington, General George Washington, and his, and his men. And he's saying, okay, what comes next? What happens after freedom? In fact, I have the words to that, a few of the words up on here. It says, what comes next? You've been freed. Do you know how hard it is to lead? You're on your own. Awesome. Wow. Do you have a clue what happens now? Oceans rise, empires fall. It's much harder when it's all your call. All alone across the sea, when your people say they hate you, don't come crawling back to me. That second line, I love that. It says, you're on your own. Awesome, wow. Do you have a clue 
what happens now? What happens after freedom? Once Christ has set us free, what next? What next? We ask the same questions that King George asked to George Washington. And Paul says, okay, here's what comes next. Here's my third big idea, and it's this. Christ followers pursue holiness. After you've been set free, what happens? Well, as a Christ follower, as a free man or as a free woman, we pursue holiness. Hebrews 12 says, without holiness, no one will see God. It's so critical, but yet Paul knows for a lot of us, it's not natural, especially right away. Freedom is frightening because we have this whole new world opened up to us. In fact, I went on the internet and just looked for some articles. Listen to some of these titles. Freedom can be a scary thing. Another one, why is freedom so scary? Another one, freedom and anxiety, they go together. How about this one? Parents, you'll get me with this one. How do you give your kids freedom in a dangerous world? Yeah. Boy, those of us who have sent our kids off to college, the ultimate freedom at that age. I was just so glad it was a Christian school we were sending them to. But even then, even then, they're free. Mom and dad's not peeking over their shoulder. They can just say, my phone didn't, didn't pick up your call or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all those things. We're free. It's a dangerous world. It's a difficult world. There's an American author uh, a new one of those a new young uh, novelists, John Michael Green, and he wrote a he wrote a book called a novel called The Fault in Our Stars, and it came out as a movie a couple years ago. And it's about this love story between two teens who both dealing with with childhood cancer and the recovering process of that. And in this book, The Fault of Our Stars, they end up in Amsterdam and in a cab. And listen to this quote that the cabbie says. He says this, some tourists think Amsterdam is a city of sin, but in truth it is a city of freedom, and in freedom, most people sin. Ah, some theological truth from a cabbie in Amsterdam. How about that? <laughs> in freedom, most people sin. Hey, that's why Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 says, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Or as Paul says, Christ followers, pursue holiness. He doesn't really name that here. He never says holy or holiness through here, but he describes it in a remarkable fashion. So let's jump right in in 1 Corinthians, or Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. says this, since then, now since is kind of like therefore, it's, it's, it's referring back to what's happened. Since Christ is supreme, since he gave himself for you to be reconciled, and since you're now free, since, okay? Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear 
with him in glory. These, these four were verses are kind of like transitional verses in this book of Colossians. In fact, Paul starts Colossians much like he does most of his books. It's with the theological argument, or it's with the doctrine, or in this case, it's what has Christ done? So he's just spent two chapters telling us what Christ has done. And now he's telling us, okay, now what should we do? Or maybe we've heard over the last several years, what would Christ do? So he's finished up. Okay, here's what Christ has done. Now here's what you ought to do. And he says these things, set your heart on things above. Have you ever had your heart set on something? Oh, just I remember when we got married or when, when we were younger, um, I, Sheila would always, and this was kind of a joke, we weren't serious, but our heart was set on a silver vet. <laughs> oh, wouldn't it be nice to be driving a, a silver vet? And, and, you know, I don't know what your heart may be set on. Maybe your heart's set, if you're a teenager or an athlete, on a championship. Maybe your heart's set on a new job and, or whatever, or a promotion at the job. And, and, he, and, and it, it's your affection. It's your longings. It's, it's what you adore. It's, it's, it's where your, your desires are. And he says, where's your desires? And he says, okay, so let's start right off and, and get your heart, your desires, set on things above. Where Christ is. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, Paul tells us. He says, our, our hearts should be there and, and above. But then he says this, where's your mind? He says this, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. What are those earthly things that we set our mind is? And you know, the mind takes it to a whole new level. You, when I say what's your heart set on, that's kind of like a dream my vision, what I'd like. But when you say what your mind is set on, that's where, that's where your purpose, that's where, you, that's where you get your drive. You know, I see that every day in the halls of this building. Actually, I see it more in the gym in this building. <laughs> Some people think they're crazy, but I can get here early in the morning. I mean, early, 6.30, 7 o'clock, and there's many times you'll see basketball team in there practicing. And you'll see him practicing other times, and you'll see him here and there and all summer. And see, I mean, they are there all the time. It's because they've not just set their heart on a goal. They've set their mind on a goal. And they said, I'm going to give. I'm going to purpose for that. I'm sure Coach Tiger would tell you the same thing about the championships that Kirtland has won. When you're a junior high boy and you're thinking, wow, I would really like to be a state champion, but if all you're doing is dreaming about it, it's not going to happen. You've got to set your mind to it, which means you get in the weight room, which means you get in shape, which means you hit the books so you're eligible, and you work together as a team. What is your mind set on and what's your heart set on? What are your desires and what are you willing to purpose in your heart for? He says we can do it on the things above, or the other choice is the earthly things. When he talks about those earthly things, he's usually talking about things like idols, things that become our idols, the promotions, the, 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 the vets. Now we spend most of our silver paying the vet is what we do. Did you get that one? Okay, never mind. 
Yeah. It's where are your priorities? Tell you, where's your mind? What, what do you think about? What do you watch? What do you read? I see Paul saying, you have two choices, the earthly things or the heavenly things, the things of Christ. In fact, this isn't the only place. He, this mind thing is important to Paul. In Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, he says this, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh. That's those earthly things. That's those idols. That's those things that are not of God. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Has anyone ever come up to you and said, hey, where's your head? <laughs> yeah. People used to do that to me all the time. I don't know why. You know, where's your head? But most of the times, though, it's, it's me. I'm saying to myself, steer, steer, where's your head? Where's your head? Especially when I get my mind on the earthly things. Driving back and forth to my parents while I'm listening to, uh, to uh, Hamilton is great until I'm in a, a row of cars in a 55-mile-an-hour zone because the person in front is driving 45. <laughs> then my mind goes to the earthly things. <laughs> I'm thinking... I'm 10 cars back, and that road is a lot of double yellow line because of the curves and the hills. And I'm thinking, man, if I had a grenade launcher, <laughs> I could take out that first car, and we could all be in there. Give me this, oh. <laughs> and all of a sudden, steer, where's your head? Where's your head? No, no, that's, that's a precious child of God driving that car up there. What's wrong with you? Where's your head? What are you thinking? Where's your head? What do you read? What do you watch? What gets your attention? Is it a flesh thing or is it a spirit thing? And, and Paul's saying, it's, it's those things of Christ. He also says it in Romans 12 too. He says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, it's your mind. Because it's our mind that's going to drive our heart and our purpose. And we're going to be thinking and striving based on what our mind wants. And he says, so get your mind under control. That's what, that's what a free person does. A free person has their choice. You can set your mind below or you can set your mind above. And Paul's saying, here's a hint. As a Christian, as someone who, is, who has accepted Christ, as someone, he says, since you've been raised with Christ. These are Christians he's talking to. He says, since you've been raised with Christ, Get your minds out of the gutter. Get your minds off the earthly things. And get them above. Get them thinking about the things that glorify God. First century Bible scholar, 17th century Bible scholar John Lightfoot said this, you must not only seek heaven, you must think heaven. You must not only seek heaven, you must think heaven. Transform our minds so that we can serve him. But back to our text, verse chapters one, 3, 1 through 4. It ends with this, those second, third and fourth verses. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ. He says, you, you no longer exist as you did. You are a new creature. You have been crucified with Christ. Bringing on this new person makes a change in your life. Your life is now hidden with Christ, and with Christ, who is your life appears, you will also appear with him in glory. And then he goes on and says this in verses 
uh, 5 through 7, where he starts to describe now a little more of this description of what this holy life looks like. And he says, there's some things, first of all, we need to do and we need to take care of. And he says this, therefore, put to death. Wow. He's saying, get a grenade launcher. (laughs) And put to death whatever. Did you get that? Whatever. So we're going to see a list here. But actually, he's saying it's whatever. Whatever is getting your mind off the earthly, off the heavenly things and put him on the earthly things. He said, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he starts giving us a list. He says, sexual immorality, habitual immorality, sexual relations between anyone other than husband and wife. Impurity. That it goes even further, includes uncleanness in, in thoughts, in action, and in word. Lust, an uncontrollable desire. Evil desires, it's even broader than lust. And greed. But this greed is so strong that not only do I want, but I think that other people exist to fulfill my needs, and I treat them that way. And so these are, these are problems of our, of our body and our spirit. And you can't separate your body from your spirit. You can't. I mean, we are, we are we're spiritual people, but we are also humans. We, we, the, the spiritual acts we do include our body. Today we took communion, a very spiritual act, but included our body, and including the nourishment of the, of the drink and the, and the bread. Just coming to church this morning, how many, now don't raise your hands on this, how many people would have loved to stay in bed and said, I'd like to send my spirit to church today? (laughs) I know you do, because I thought the same thing. (laughs) I'm not used to this yet. I thought, who's preaching? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We we can't separate our spirit and body. And and Paul is saying here that that to become holy, to become like God, to to live in pure freedom. We, we give up these earthly things, and he starts to list them. And he says this, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. He said, God's going God's to respond. And he says, you used to walk in this way. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. He said, there's been a transformation. You no longer conform to the world, but you become new creatures, he said, you are new in every way, and so you give up voluntarily out of your freedom, not because it's required, not because it's demanded, but because you want to be like Christ, because your mind is now on the heavenly things. He said, give them up. Give them up. And then he goes on to our disposition. So if you don't have a problem with your body, maybe you do have a problem with your spirit. He says, but now you must also rid yourselves, in verse 8, of all did you get that? All such things. And again, it's such things. So these are only some of them. Anger, rage, malice, slender, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self and its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Paul is using a metaphor here of, you know, kind of changing your clothes, taking off the old, getting rid of them, and putting on the new. But he says, you have. The tense is, that's already done. You accepted Christ. He says right there at the beginning, since you've accepted Christ, since you're new creatures in Christ, 
You've already done that. You've exchanged the old for the new. Now live like it, is what he's saying. You've done it. What Christ has done has not changed. Christ has set you free. You are a new creation in Christ. Now live like it. Live like it. Take off that old. Put on the new. And he says when that happens, we all, when we put on this new creature, this new creation, these new clothes, we become one. And he says in that next verse, therefore, there's no, no more Jew or Gentile. He said, now it doesn't matter what nationality you are, what race you are. It doesn't matter. He says, now there is no more um, circumcised or uncircumcised. Our ceremonial standing before God doesn't matter. He says, there are no barbarians or Scythians. It doesn't matter what culture you come from. The barbarians were those who didn't speak Greek, according to the Greeks. And then the Scythians were even much, much worse, uncultured, disgusting people. But it doesn't matter. He says, there's no more slave or free. Your social stance, your social status doesn't make any difference anymore. We are all one in Christ when we take on this new creation, this new clothes that we put on. And he takes it further again in verse 12. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, here's what you need to clothe yourselves with. These are the new clothes we put on. We've put off the old. And he says, if you want to live free, Try this out for a, for a change. Close yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We're going to come back to some of that next week. But for now, look at this list. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Paul writes in Galatians, he says, when you have received Christ and his spirit is living in you, you start to reflect what he calls the fruit of the spirit. And there he gives us another list of, of love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. It's this new clothes that we put on. I've taken off the old clothes, the old clothes I like to lie and covet and steal and all that, and I put on these new clothes that want to love and, and, have, and, and, and is kind and humble and gentle. He says, put on this new clothes because as a result of your freedom, you have the ability now to say no. You have the ability to say no. Those chains are broken. You can say no to these things. You can take them off. I think it was, uh, yeah, it was Pastor Jim College up here a few weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 12. He said, throw off everything that hinders. It was Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you, cut it off. So I look at this, okay, Lord, what are we to do? Are we to cut off or gouge or, or put to death or, or throw off? And he says, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> It's all of the above. It's whatever it is that is causing us not to have the beauty of a relationship that, that doesn't have sin between us. That's it. Paul doesn't just leave it there. Paul says some other things all through his writings about what this new life looks like. Just one in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I love what he says here. He says this in 4, 1 and 2. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact you are living, as in fact you are living, now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this and more, more and more. 
For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I look at that verse and Paul's pleading for these folks to, to take on this, this um, clothing of Christ. And I, I think how that is so different than maybe how we normally think of God and Paul. Does anybody have the thought in your mind that when God's telling us to do things, he's got a big hammer up there? Yeah. Uh, 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 lied. <laughs> you know? You know? God's up there and, 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 and he's got this hammer and he's, he's just, and we, sometimes we get that from Paul when we read it because sometimes when Paul addresses someone specifically, he can be a little tough. But boy, you know what I read in this verse? It says, I ask you and I urge you. My favorite life verse is, is Romans 12, 1 and 2. And he says, I beseech ye, therefore, brother. And it says, I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you to offer your bodies as sacrifices. And by the way, transform your mind. Renew your spirit. Paul, Paul knows it doesn't do any good to threaten you with a hammer. I think of it, instead of a hammer... I think of it more as an invitation. Paul has an invitation. And he says, you have an inv invite to live an incredible life. A life that's free, where you don't have to worry about your past or sorrow or guilt because you are seeking things above. And I invite you. I invite you. This is a very important invitation. It came from the president. Now, not the president of the United States. <laughs> it came from the president of Malone University. <laughs> but president of Malone University is still someone I respect and, and honor. And, and I think twice before saying no to Dr. David King. This invitation is an invitation to join him. Paul goes on in verses 7 and 8. There in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says this, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God. The very God who gives you the Holy Spirit. He says, God's not up there banging on you. God's got an invitation. And you've got a choice. You can reject it or accept it. And I'm thinking, I, I would think twice before I just blew off Dr. King. But sometimes we blow off God like, yeah, I see your words. Yeah, put on, put off, put on, put off. I got it. And he's saying, no, this is my offer. And if you, are, are, you willing to, are you willing to live this holy life? That's my invitation. We live this holy life, one, because we become like Jesus. Two, because God invited us. And then he goes on in verses 11 and 12 of this passage in Thessalonians. says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as many told you, so that your daily life, and here's the third reason we live a holy life, may win the respect of outsiders so that you would not be dependent on anybody. 
our greatest witness is our life. John MacArthur says this, to convince a man God can save, I need to show him a man God saved. To convince a man that God can give hope, I need to show him a man with hope. To convince a man that God can give peace, joy, and love, I need to show him a man with peace, joy, and love. To convince a man that God can give complete, total, and utter satisfaction, I need to show him a satisfied man. When the world sees people who are holy, righteous, peaceful, joy, and fulfilled, they see the evidence of God's transforming power. When they see a man or when they see a woman living out what Paul is called here, someone who lives in compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bears with each other, forgives each other, and puts on love, they'll know that that life has been transformed and they'll want it. Another reason to live as God would have us to live, to take his invitation and respond. Let's stand together. This morning, we're just going to have a time of prayer and um, going to ask you to bow your heads. And, you know, when we asked you to take communion, we said, would you uh, take time to take a, a self-inspection? Maybe now's a good time to do that. Are you living with these new clothes? Are you carrying around your old clothes? We're going to pray, and as we pray, I invite you to make a commitment today to put on the new clothes and to get rid of the old. After the service, I'll be down front here. Tasha will be down. We'd love to talk with you if there's something you'd like to talk about. But this is your opportunity to make that commitment, to drive that stake home, or maybe to accept that invitation that Paul urges us to have, take. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come, we come to you, the God who sent his son, holy, fully, completely God, to sacrifice for us. We come to the God who has broken our chains and set us free in Christ Jesus. And this morning, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable unto you as our act of worship. Lord, I pray for those out here this morning that are thinking of things that, in their lives that don't measure up, that are on this list of things that Paul says to either put to death or get rid of. Jesus would say to gouge out. The writer of Hebrews would say to throw off. Lord, help me. Help me to get rid of the crud in my life that, well, it doesn't change who I am before you. I'm a, I'm a guy with a clean slate. But yet, Lord, it's, it's not honoring you. And Lord, help me and each one of us to put on those new clothes of righteousness, of holiness. Lord, speak to us. Show us your way. Guide and direct us as we go. As we go this week and live, may people look at us by our quiet lives, by our love and mercy and graciousness, by the truth from our mouths, and know that we have been transformed 
Lord, may that make them thirsty for what we have. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for each one here that's heard this message. And I just add a prayer for Pastor Jim and those who are with our youth this morning as they hear one more message. Lord, we pray for revival in that room. Lord, we pray that those 54 youth would hear you in a very clear way. Lord, I pray that there would be missionaries and pastors and, Lord, folks who would go out and, into the professions and, and Lord, uh, into industry that would serve you, into, into hospitals and be lights where you've called them to be. Lord, may they throw off these clothes, old clothes at a young age and experience what it is to live for you. And then, Lord, we just want to serve you this week, bring honor and glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you go this morning, there will be offering plates and ushers at the doors. There's also two boxes. You can just drop them in the boxes here. Thank you so much for supporting us in that way. Go serve the Lord this week.